want to share a story this morning. Um, we've done some pretty heavy stuff in the last weeks, so it's time for a story. Um, and the, the story, I believe, and only the time that we talk will tell, but I believe it is the story of many, many of us I've received your letters, and they amaze me. And I say that very carefully. They amaze me because I've been in ministry nearly 70 years, and I've never heard testimonies like I'm hearing these last few weeks of people who finally understand. They they said it's just the, the light. And, and amazingly, the questions the Holy Spirit put to people and when they began to answer them to themselves, they realized they'd been off in their believing and are now coming to the fullest enjoyment. And I say it again, I am amazed, and I'm very cautious with words, uh, but I'm amazed at what has happened to many of you uh, in these last few weeks, uh, life transforming. And so in this story, which is a journey story. And that's what many people don't understand. We are on a journey, and many things happen to us on the journey, and we say, well, that's it. No, it's not it. It's a a very nice insight. It's a glorious blessing. It's a lot of things. But don't say it. That puts a period on it. There's, you, you haven't, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You, you haven't even imagined in your wildest dreams what's up ahead. And, and the story is the book of Ruth. And um, normally when I talk about Ruth, we have about five or six hours because it's a small book, but it's full. But I'm, I'm going to do it in an hour because I'm only looking for one thing and I'm only looking at Ruth. Uh, because there's other characters in the story. If you want a text, it's not really a time for a text, but uh, this will lock it down to one idea, which is in Ruth in chapter 2, and um, I'll just read it to you. Um, Verse 19, her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, then said to her, that's Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you work May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living, to the dead. And again Naomi said, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Uh, let it be that's it because if you want a text then that's it the man is our relative he's one of our closest relatives that might sound weird but we get to it in a minute um the story begins in the book of ruth 1500 years before jesus came and it began in the village of bethlehem and Bethlehem today is not much bigger than Bandera, but um, in these days it was a matter of a ranch or two. It was it was a place, but it was hardly on the map. And 
it, it was defined more by its ranchers than it would be by its city center. Um, and it took place in the middle of the book of Judges. So it comes after the book of Judges as a book, but in actual fact it took place in the middle of the book of Judges. But they've, they've isolated this little story. But I'm sure not all of you have read Judges, but it was a time of terrible unrest. Um, it was a very dangerous time. Everything would seem to be collapsing. Um, they were being invaded. And it's no surprise that the book begins with a famine. And so Naomi, her husband and two sons, they opt out and they go to Moab, which was the next door, which today would be just around Jordan. Um, it was over the River Jordan. And, and, well, the whole story there is really about the land. In fact, the whole story is about the land, if you could look at it one way. And the land, when you read the Old Testament, is very different. In fact, the whole book of Ruth, you are plunged into customs and ancient laws and ways of doing things that if you don't know about it, you miss it altogether. And the first thing is the land. You see, in the, in the scripture, God gave Israel their land and he gave every family a piece of that land. And it was a gift. And you read it in the book of Joshua that the people were gathered and Joshua portioned it out. And so... Um, you know, Marshall and Sherry, you get this portion of land. It's a gift from God. You didn't pay for it. There, it's yours. And Jean, you get this piece and sizable pieces. And it would be passed on from generation to generation. This is the gift that God gave us. And as you live in that land, so you'll be blessed. This is his land. It's his gift. And the land became terribly important. You couldn't sell it. There were no realtors in Israel. I don't know if you know that. No realtors in the Old Testament because you couldn't sell your land. The What you could do is uh, lease it out or rent it out, but you couldn't sell it. How can you sell what God gave you? It's not for sale. You didn't buy it. You can't sell it. And so that's uh, in the backdrop here. Um, it's got many bits and pieces attached to it as we go on but they opted out now that to us might be a jolly good idea so you came from houston to sisterdale why not what the heck who wants to live in houston today you come out you live there until the plague is over you know it's um not in those days god gave you this piece of land he said on this land he'll provide for you he'll protect you and you stay there leave the gift that God gave you that would be unthinkable and so when Naomi and her husband and two sons opt out well nobody says anything but the looks could kill you it, it, what are you doing you're leaving your property and of course you don't sell it it's your property so you just leave it and you go and you go to Moab well I suppose if you've decided to opt out, Moab is as good a place as any, but Moab. If you if you go back in Genesis, it has those sordid beginnings with Lot and his daughters. It's a wretched, sordid story how Moab came into being. But then 
Of course, they were separated from the revelation of the true God, so they made up their gods. They, they uh, worshipped demonic gods. In fact, they're, they're the people that would throw their children into the fire uh, to burn as an offering to Molech and terrible people, darkness, and all the behavior that came out of that. You don't want to go to Moab. And in fact, there's specifics in the law that, you know, we're not at war with Moab, but we don't really like them. And of course, they don't speak the same language properly. You know, they've got some dialect we don't really understand. And and they're much darker color than us. And so, you know, not not Moab. And in the law, it says you, you mustn't let a Moabite do this and do that and do the other. They went leaving the land into the land of Moab and they waited there till the famine was over. <clears throat> well, while they were there, the two kids get married, but then the husband dies and both the boys die and that leaves Naomi with two daughters-in-law who are Moabites. What's she going to do with them? Well, she's going back to her piece of land and the two gals say, we're coming too. And that's very interesting because what's a Moabite leaving their land to go back to a land that they know is unfriendly? Naomi must have given a very good description of the God of Israel because in those days, a nation belonged to the God of that nation. It's very hard for us to understand that there'd be the God of Bandera, there'd be the God of San Antonio. Well, you move to San Antonio, you've got to leave your God behind. What's the God in San Antonio like? You know, uh, things that we can't even think today. But they're leaving, they want to leave Moab? Leave their God and go to the God that Naomi keeps talking about? She must have done a jolly good job. Um, but when they come to the border, the one gal goes back home. She can't face it. But Ruth says, I'm coming with you, and specifically said, your God shall be my God. So they come over the border, and here they come. Two travelers, they've been walking for days, walking through the desert to boot, and they come into Bethlehem. And I want, I want you to feel, if it's possible, to get into the mind of that day. Um, here comes Naomi, so... You're coming back like a rat. You deserted the sinking ship, and now you're coming back, huh? There's there's that element to it. There's guilt. There's shame, um, and and she's coming back to her land, but it would be dilapidated, weeds, and the houses broken down. No one's looked after it. Just that it's her land, but with it all the debts that have occurred during her absence, and and with her comes and she's called the Moabite. Um, yeah, the Moabite. And I, little, nobody moved in those days. So a stranger stands out. And as I say, they were slightly darker than the Israelites were. They can't really speak proper Hebrew uh, in the minds of the Hebrews anyway. And um, here she is. And she doesn't have a husband. Good grief. Where, where, where are the men? Because in those days, if you didn't, have a man you're finished because there's no work work for a woman a woman getting a job that was unheard of a woman was protected by a husband 
So if there's no husband, who looks after them? You, now that would explain as you read through the Old Testament all about widows and orphans because uh, we don't have a setup for that. God ordained marriage and, well, tough, you, you're, you're a mess. And, and so no one's to support you. And so a tithe was taken once every so many years for the widow and orphan. That didn't amount to much. And this time, you're a Moabite? We've got enough trouble feeding the indigent people here anyway. And now you bring not only another indigent without a husband, she's a Moabite. She's going to come and feed off our generosity. No, it was not a nice situation. And, and, and Naomi moves back into her land and, well, what can two women do when the place is falling apart? And, and, and also not trained to do it. I mean, here most women can do something if you're born on a ranch, but not in those days. Here they are, a foreigner, fearful, poor kid. She's not that old. And and she can feel it maybe more than Naomi. She's not wanted here. She's fearful, um, without resources, no food supply, no, nothing. And all the looks of everybody are not exactly welcoming. And so the first thing that Naomi does, and they got there around the end of March, the beginning of April, because he said it was the beginning of the barley harvest. And the barley harvest began at the same time as we celebrate Easter. And so they, they, it was that time of year when they came back. And so Naomi said, I've, you know, I've got to educate you. There's a welfare system in Israel. And it's, it's great if you're an Israelite, but... Um, it's the barley harvest, and after the barley harvest comes the wheat harvest. So we've got a many weeks ahead of the harvest. And so you go into the field. Now this is the law of the welfare. This is how they looked after their poor. You go and here the harvesters are cutting the, the wheat and the barley. Now I was raised with this. I don't, maybe some of you, I don't know how it worked over here. But we didn't have combine harvesters. You know, I'm very old. And um, so have you ever heard of a sheaf? A sheaf? Do you know what that really is? It's what you put your arm around a bunch of barley or wheat with a scythe. You know what a scythe is? little cutting. And you would cut it. And so you got the sheaf and you cut it. And that's how you harvest. And you had a whole string of harvesters going forward. With, and then they would take that and put it and so on. Well, supposing you dropped some of it, very possible, you dropped a few pieces of the barley or the wheat, well, the law in Israel, the law of Moses, said you can't touch it. You drop it, you can't touch it. That belongs to the poor. And so following the harvesters would be the poor who couldn't afford to eat, and they are willing the harvesters to drop as much as they can because everything that's dropped becomes their dinner tonight. And also the law was you are not allowed to harvest the corners of the field. That, you, that was for the poor. And so 
the the harvesters came at dawn and following up with mostly young girls who were from families who couldn't afford to live and they picked up and they went and they took what was in the corner of the field that that was their welfare that that, that looks after the poor up to a point well can you imagine now it's bad enough walking through the town but now ruth has got to go and stand with all the other girls who are hating her because we're all, everybody's vying for the clumsiest harvester and, and to get behind someone who's dropping everything and here comes somebody else who's got no right to be here and they're going to come in on, on our harvest. She wasn't welcome, nor did she know have a clue what's going on. How do you do this? What, what? So she's just following the crowd. And following the girls, she ends up in this field. She knows not where. She sees what they're doing. She starts doing the same. That's how it started. Well, the owner of that, in fact, he pretty well owned most of Bethlehem in terms of all the ranches and fields, um, Boaz. And so now they've got started and he comes. And he's a nice chap. And, and somebody who wrote Ruth was probably there because it's very specific. They say how he came on and he gave the greeting of the day, the Lord be with you. And they all shout back and the blessing of God be with you too. Very, very good relationship. Nice guy, though he owned everything. And so he's just watching and he sees Ruth because she stood out like a sore thumb. And anyway, he knew most of the girls anyway, you know. So uh, he said, who's that? And so the supervisor said, she's Naomi, kids brought back from Moab. And uh, she came here and she's done good work and better. He said, I know, I, I've heard about her. And so he calls her over right at the beginning of the story. She, this rejected Moabite, is brought to Boaz and he tells her I know I know what you've done I know where you come from I know how you've been so good to Naomi he'd been really checking on this gal and he said I'll, I'll watch out for you he said I'll tell the harvesters keep their hands off you be nice to you and um, when he came to lunchtime he says they had lunch and I say it's so specific because it says what they had for lunch they had popcorn and um, they ate his parched corn. And um, so they sit here. This Moabite sitting with Boaz having conversation. Her response to all of that was to fall on her knees before him. She knew nothing else to do. That's how you treat the boss man. And, and, and she fell on her face, you know, saying, what, what, what have I done to deserve this? Get the picture get the picture what interest does this guy have in a moabite to have already in the short time they've been there found out everything about her and yet never met her and what is it that the boss man sits down and shares popcorn with the newest arrival when she's the most hated person on the block hold it in mind this, this guy is he's got eyes for her there's no doubt about it from the very get-go there's other reasons too. Um, she had absolutely no idea. She comes with all the 
background of her demon gods and all she knows is she's going to have um, Naomi's god but you know the get rid of one set of thoughts for another set she doesn't know what's going on she doesn't know this very thing that's going on with her is all bound up with the promises that were in the law to the people nor that this god is a god of love and a god who has purpose the gods that all the people worship the the pagan gods that they were simply power centers would that be a good way to look at it? their idea of god was somebody who had all power and he's going to beat the crap out of you if he doesn't like you and so to keep him liking you you've got to keep giving him sacrifices and telling him what a great god he is that's their idea of god what comes the revelation of the god of the old testament and the god we worship in jesus christ is absolute reverse this god is love that was unknown i mean not even a possibility to all the gods uh, of the ancient days and the gods of the greeks and the romans they that is not god god is power god is sovereign god is going to smash you you've got to get in there and appease him make him feel good offer a sacrifice so she wouldn't have a clue that the god of love had an intention I, I want you to hold that it's very big because it's right for us too that when we say god is love it doesn't mean he's sort of generally nice it means that from the very being of god before time before creation there is an intention a movement a purpose god's love has a purpose and god's love has a purpose for every human being and that purpose is not fate i i call it an unforced power it, he doesn't force us it's i think i mentioned it before um when i was on the zambezi river in africa and uh just meandering on the river in a rowboat watching the banks and suddenly became aware i'm slowly moving but i'm not doing anything and i realized i was on the current because it was getting faster and faster at the other end of the zambezi is the victoria falls and um i was caught in the current uh, but i could get out of that i could go to shore it was an unforced current it was a gentle current but it had a purpose a big purpose and i was caught in it well that's not altogether like god's love but it gives you an idea of what i'm talking about there is a current that runs through our lives a current that runs through our journeys and that current or that movement of love is bringing us to god's end god's purpose and well that is evident here here's a gal in moab and into her life comes a lady who can talk very well concerning the god of israel enough that she finds herself coming over the border into israel to discover more of this god and, and she is rejected but how did she end up in the field of boaz when she didn't know where she was going yeah what a coincidence and, and um 
Do you see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a movement here. Oh, it's so gentle you'd hardly recognize it, but it's there. And then Boaz goes to his harvesters and privately, and he said, now that, that Moabite, if any of you get in front of her, I want you to be unusually clumsy. I want you to drop barley on purpose and um, look after her. Uh, well, come on, come on. This is a, a rich man. He, who, who cares? But what's gotten into him? There, there's, you understand what I'm saying? That there's this flow. There's, and it's in the most detailed things, right down to popcorn for lunch. But it's the bringing together of people, meeting of people. You could put it this way: the the barley field of harvest that was the grocery store for poor people. That's where you went with, with God's authority to pick up what was. So she goes to the grocery store to find something to eat tonight. That's all she knows. Boy, what was going on there? What she met in the grocery store and, and, and the details, all of which to her would be, I, I hit the jackpot today. I, I'm, I'm getting more, there's more barley in front of me than all the other girls. Wow, what, what luck, you know. Yeah part of the journey uh, um, and she comes home excited with, with enough barley to have a good meal tonight and so Naomi begins to ask questions and again it's very detailed it's just the old woman stays home and the young one comes home and and it's kind of what happened today tell me about it you know and, and she says I, I got in this field and said who, who, who's did you get the name of the guy yeah, he's Boaz. And then Naomi gets very excited. And she um, introduces her to another, which is the central custom law of Israel. That actually is the key to opening a vast amount of the Bible. She is so excited. She said, Boaz. She said, he's a relative. That's probably why he was so interested in, in who you were. It's a relative. It's, it's through my dead husband and some relative of his, but it's pretty close. Maybe a brother. It's a relative. But then she said, he's a close relative. And everybody in the West, so whoopee. So, you know, no. The word close relative in the Hebrew language, and you might as well learn this because it's hard to put it into English, is goel, G-O-E-L, goel. And goel actually means, if you try to put it into English, which the whole Bible does, is a near kinsman or relative, redeemer. That, every time you read the word redeem in the Bible, it's connected to this. It's a near kinsman, close, close relative, who it's incumbent upon them to redeem you. Can, can you, does that make any sense? Um, so she said he's a relative, well that could be a vast amount of extended, but she said he's a close, he's a goel. He's a close relative which places him as one who could redeem us. It meant, a goel meant, as I said, an organic connection. 
This is not a stranger. He's got to organically be connected to your family, very close relative. And he, he'd have to be a very compassionate person because although it was a law, it was not enforced. He didn't have to do it, but he, he was in that position. So he had to be compassionate. If you're in trouble, the Goel has compassion on you and has compassion not as a stranger with a, a fat purse. It's a compassion of a close organic relative. And of course, he's got to have money because if you're in trouble, he's got to bail you out. So he's compassionate and he's got to be wealthy and he's got to be ready to take responsibility for you. That is, that will include all your debts. It would include every trouble you got yourself into. But especially, particularly, if you're having to sell your land, and that includes debtors, because only debtors can come in and take your land and to cover their, their expenses. And if it doesn't cover your debts, then you are sold into slavery. And that's another whole thing in the law of Moses. Six years of slavery to pay all your debts. And so the Goel had to have enough money to come and pay your debts, buy back your land, release you from slavery. I say it again. He had to take responsibility for you and every crazy mistake he'd ever made. And he is going to become you to meet your debtors and pay. Um, and so it was a responsibility of choice and the choice of love and compassion. And Naomi, I mean, her eyes are bright. I mean, again, of all the coincidences that you should go into his field and he noticed you and he's a close relative. The lady is walking on the ceiling. Um, now, uh, Ruth wouldn't really know really too much of what she's talking about because, again, that is something unique to the law of Moses, not to Moab. Um, and so the summer goes on, and the summer goes on, and everything that Boaz set in place goes on. There's been more barley and wheat dropped on that ground in that summer than any other summer. And um, she comes home every night. The food is always there. But of course, this is carrying you through now. We're moving through July and August. And so, yeah, the food is there. And you're getting very used to this strange favored treatment. And all these coincidences that keep happening, you're getting very used to it. But uh, as the winter comes on, we know there's no more food in the winter and we can't pay the bills. And Naomi's come to the point, I've got to get rid of the land. And I hope that covers. But then where do we live? And you get the picture. Um, now, the Goel was not a law in the sense that, well, I'm the Goel and you know, you're in trouble and you're my close relative. So I'm going to come knocking on your door and, and say, I'm the Goel. Anybody here need help? You know, no, that wasn't the way it worked. I'm here. It's my position. I, I've got under the law of Moses, I've got legal right to do it. 
but um, I, I don't volunteer. And it's a relationship. It's not a law in that sense. It's a relationship. And therefore, you come and you ask. You ask me to be who I am. You surrender yourself to me. That's the way it worked. And so Naomi says, the time has come. I told you about this back in the spring. The time has come. The crisis is here. And you are going to go and you're going to present yourself to Boaz and call upon who he is, Goel. That's tough. I mean, put yourself... It means, okay, I surrender. I cannot handle my life. It's almost like an AA meeting. You know, I mean... I, it's out of control. I, I cannot do one thing to reverse my situation. The whole world of do-it-yourself living is over. I can't do it. it I, if I worked for two years, I couldn't pay my debts. Here I am. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. That is the death of all pride. That <laughs> Going to the Goel, what was you are really... Your hopelessness presents, and and you're you're laying there a person who has died to their self-esteem, died to their pride. I need that's that's how it was, and, and that is what she's got to do. She's going. Well, how do you do that? They had their custom, and again, it's kind of weird to us, but it's the end of the harvest, and so there's big celebration at the end of the harvest. The, the liquor flows. And, and so Boaz is not going home tonight. After the party, he goes to the barn and just lays down on the straw, puts a sack over him, goes to sleep. And she goes in now, all dressed up like Sunday church, and um, she lifts the, the sack from off his feet and she lays down on his feet and covers herself and waits for him to wake up. Because finding a woman laying on your feet at night, you're going to wake up pretty soon. And, and as he wakes up, she says, cover me, cover me. That was the magic words. It meant I'm appealing to you as the Goel. I, I, I realize who you are and I want you to be realized as who you are in my life. Cover me. Which meant be my protector, be my provision. Take me as your responsibility. And that, that's big, you know. It's, it's very easy to talk this. It's even easier to read it in Scripture. What a neat idea, you know. Yeah, what a neat idea. I mean, he's to take responsibility for two women, and one in particular, that are absolutely at the end of their rope. Their house is falling apart, and there's a lot of negativity if we're not going to make it. Slavery is very much a possibility just around the corner. Poverty, hounded by debt collectors, and the verge of starvation. And being a goal is not writing a check and saying, you know, this will cover your bills. This isn't just being generous. The goal did not do anything for the people he became them. That is, from this point on, you get girls are my life. You're my responsibility. 
What happens to you happens to me, and I take over. That's a big difference from being a generous stranger who just hands you a ten thousand dollars. This is this is life. He's never going to get rid of them. He, he's going to take them on, and um, he himself was their way out. I want you to understand that. That's very central to it. It, it meant that Boaz's life would never be the same again. Think about that. Um, he would die. Okay, put it this way. He would die to everything he might have become. Every plan that he'd ever had now becomes uh, submitted to this compassionate act of being the goal. Everything he could ever have been or done is now dead. And with it comes a resurrection, if you want to call it that, a resurrection in which he would forever be joined to this Moabite and to the mother-in-law. Um, and of course, everything she entailed. So she brings all the shame of being a Moabite. She brings even all her leftover thoughts of Moabite gods and all that go with that. She brings all her rejection. She brings all her poverty. She brings the land that's of useless um, circumstance of a disaster. She brings all that to her baggage. And, and Goel means I take you and have total responsibility for you. I am the check. I'm not giving you a check. I am the check, which means it's open-ended. I've died to everything I'd ever planned to be and do, and you now, I give myself to you. That, that's what he was faced with. It's not merely being a caretaker. Um, he, he is giving himself. I, I think you've got that. He's absolutely giving himself to Ruth and willingly accepting the fulfilling of love because if love isn't involved, then you've got a worse disaster on your hand. And so... He did. Boaz becomes who he is. He is a Goel, and so it becomes it. Takes the land, the entire situation, debt collectors. I, I, I could smile at that because probably the debt collectors were actually living on his land. Um, you know, you, you've come to get money from Ruth, and who opens the door but Boaz? Um, pays all her debts, pays off the land marries her. Wow. I'm saying this too quick. This is the most romantic story in the whole Bible of, of um, rags to riches. I mean, can you imagine? The rejected foreigner has now become the bride of the guy who owns everything. Uh, it, it means she who nervously had picked up the leftovers in the field, the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table... She is now the bride who is joint owner of all the fields. Um, she who fell on her face uh, in, in almost worshipping this great Boaz is now sitting with him, his lady, at the head of the table. It's incredible. Um, she is now no longer the poor rejected stranger. She is the beloved of the owner of Bethlehem.
Um, and now she who was hated those first mornings is the envy of every girl in town and they all want to be her friend. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. As I say, we need five hours for this, but she stood where he stood. She shared his name. She shared his honor, shared his respect. No one ever dare look at her now and say she's a no good Moabite. Um, where Boaz was, she was. She shared his mansion, shared his checkbook, came under his protection, came under his provision. She lived as safe as he lived. She would never again face life as singularly Ruth. She would face life always now as Ruth Boaz. The, she's become one. Life now is that he is as her and she is as he. And, and the two have become literally one. It's not a contract. <coughs> it's not some deal with a stranger. It's not even a check. It's, it's far beyond paying the debts. This is a union of two people to become one. Okay, looks like the end of the story. Except, well, they have kids, of course. And the decades pass. Little Obed. And little Obed, of course, he got married, had grandkids. One of them was Jesse. And guess what? Jesse had kids. Had a bunch of kids. Then he had one, the runt. His name was David. Ayave. <laughs> so the rejected Moabite becomes the great great grandmother of David. Did ever you hear such a thing? Oh, it gets better. Because the decades roll on and the centuries roll on. And 1,000 years later, a bunch of shepherds were in the field where she had been collecting barley. And the sky lights up. And an angel said, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. But unto you is born this day in the city of David. Because they'd forgotten about Ruth. It was now the city of David. <laughs> There is born to you a Savior who is Messiah, the I Am. That's the story of Ruth and why the book is in the Bible. That's where it all began. So what happened when the baby was born in Bethlehem? What happened is that God, who throughout the Old Testament called himself the Redeemer, that was is one of his favorite titles when he talks to people. And our Bibles miss it. Well, maybe it's, it's hard to put it into English, not so much missing it. But the Passion Translation gets it. Every time God says, I am your Redeemer, the Passion Translation in their Isaiah book um, says that I am your kinsman Redeemer. He said the Goel. That's what God was saying. Well, that was anticipation because God wasn't our kinsman. Because to be a kinsman, you've got to have a body. My uncle is not a ghost. Uh, my, my uncle has got a body. 
and a body that relates organically to my body. That's what makes a relative. God says, I am your relative redeemer. That in itself was saying one day, because when the baby was born in Bethlehem, just outside the fields where she gleaned, God became human. I mean, I've been thrashing that for the last six weeks. But you won't understand the gospel until you get it. God became our relative. Do you you understand? The Bible says God is a spirit. Yes, he is a spirit. But God the Son joined God the Son to our humanity. And so God has a beating heart. God has a liver. God has a spleen. Do you understand me? He has bloodstream. He became human. He became our goel. He became our closest relative. Closest because as God, he had made us. You couldn't get much closer than that. And he said that he is the cement of our cells. He's in him consist. He holds us together. He upholds all things by the word of his power. That's closer than breathing. And that one became one of us. One of us so completely, if he sat in this circle, you wouldn't recognize him as just somebody else from Bandera. He became one of us. Not one of us, though one of us. He became a goal. And I find the the journey of Ruth becomes our journey in a very real sense. I mean, look at yourself in the mirror. We're a bunch of Moabites. We've got nothing going for us. And the, the scripture says the heart of sin is not a list of bad things. The heart of sin is the darkness of our mind. We, we, we are clueless as to who the real God is. We're clueless of who we are. And, and um, it's darkness. Our concepts of God and the behavior that follow it are as insane as the Moabites. And in the story, Naomi I haven't said much about it. She's got her own story in the book of Ruth. But if you look at the whole thing, she's almost like the Holy Spirit. Um, she's the one that did the talking in Moab that that brought her over the border. And, and then, and, and I don't know your relationship to the Holy Spirit. I can only, would to God, it's as close as this. But when she comes home from from the day and she... It's Naomi saying, what happened? What happened? Do do you know a relationship to the Holy Spirit that wants you to talk about your day and wants you to share all the coincidences of today and the people I met and would you believe? And then he throws light on that. He's the interpreter of all the luck. And he says, yeah, right, that was no coincidence. That's Boaz. And do you know about this? And do you know about that? And this is what is happening. It's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the interpreter of our journey. He, in fact, is that intentional love that is gently moving us and moving people into our lives that we would never have dreamt are going to have any part in it. He does it all. You go to the grocery store and you meet good grief. I meet Boaz. And I'm scared spitless of the man. I mean, I don't know what to do. I fall on my face. 
It's okay. It's okay. It's all part of this. Yeah. And I got such a bargain today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's more work. Do you understand? You've got this idea of God up there somewhere. And here he is. He's that current that's running through our lives, a current of love, and the Holy Spirit is right in the middle of the current saying, I'll tell you what that means. I'll tell you what that means. And there come shafts of light, and we say, wow, I got it. Yeah, right. You're hardly out of the dark, but it's okay. It's okay. Can I, can I say this very carefully, and don't misunderstand me, but we have placed in the last century so much emphasis, I got saved. And I know what you mean, and I'm not going to argue with you. But if if you've got eyes in your heart, do you remember what happened before you got saved? There was a river running in your life that brought you to that moment. And do you remember when you got saved? Good Lord. What you knew then was hardly enough to turn over in bed. Do you realize where you've come since then? And do you realize what's happened here and happened there and happened there? Life is more a journey than an event. It's And there are events, and some events are bigger than others. But please get the big picture. There's been a river running in your life for a lot longer than you even know. And that river began before creation in the heart of God when he purposed to do what he has done. And of course, at the very center, the goal of that intentional love was the incarnation. That was, and it, that really was the intention, right? In Ruth's life, it was there. It was, she's in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. It, and there it comes. It's happened. The incarnation. God has become the goal. And, um, We've, we hear that quiet voice of the Spirit long before we even know it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a most fantastic member of the Holy Trinity. He's always behind the scenes. He's always shining light on the Father, shining light on Jesus, shining light on you. And, and he gets left out. That's what his plan is. He, Jesus said he glorify me. He glorifies the Father. Like a light on a great old building. Have you seen those where there's a castle and they throw a big light on it? Well, whoever goes to look at the light, you're looking at the castle that's being shone by the light. And that's the Holy Spirit. He gets left out. But he's the one that has guided us right to where we're sitting this morning. Um, he interprets. He's the teacher. And um course, in there, when I, when I see... Ruth kneeling down before Boaz and again I hope you understand me but boy is that so many people they, they think that that's what God wants grovel in the dust man grovel in the dust did you say I'm unworthy say it louder I'm unworthy I'm no good I'm no good that's good that's good you're holy you're, you're really getting it now that's the idea some people have God wants us to grovel God wants us to put our face in the dust they call it worship He's not into that. But it's part of our journey. Most of us here probably have touched on that. We thought, that's God. We're terrified of God. And um, we experience the gospel 
as fast as we can take it, um, our eyes open. But along the way, there are these moments, these moments. Um, and, and then we come to crisis. There comes a point where, I mean, things were great during the summer, but then comes the approach of winter and I'm, I'm suddenly confronted with, it was actually true at the beginning, but I, I was able to cover it. But now all the moorings drop away, you know, and you discover yourself, I'm helpless, I can't. Um, and that's when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes wide. And we see this, the heart of the gospel. We've been experiencing all the results of the gospel for a long time, and we've been very happy. God's love doesn't check on whether you said the right words in a sinner's prayer. God just loves you. And his love shows up in the oddest places. And his love is to people that I don't even want to talk to. But, you know, his love does that. But there comes a time in our journey when our eyes are open to see who he really is. Goel is at the very heart of God. It's his favorite name in the Old Testament. And he comes rushing into the New Testament with this mind-blowing speechless reality i don't I, i'm i think some of these last weeks i I'm, I'm guilty of if i shout it loud enough you'll understand it's it's no i can't shout it loud enough god became human you know see and i think that's why the darkness has attacked christmas more than any other and given us that idiot creature with a beard that is the perfect image of the god of adam that if you've been a good person you're going to be rewarded with toys oh, how disgusting um to even call that the birth of christ um we, we we have turned it into just a mere mass of buying 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 and right at the center is if you're good you'll get uh and we we call that the birth of christ no um, you see, if you don't understand the incarnation, you don't understand the cross. Um, it is because he became human. Therefore, he's one with me already. I, I don't have to beg God or come to me. Yeah, I've got news. He came. And he came into you if you're human. He came and he joined himself to us as our goal. Our, our relative redeemer couldn't be closer. And there comes a time when our eyes are open to that. And opening of the eyes is far more to, with what the gospel is to do with. Um, because it is so. Boaz was not approached, would you try and become a Goel? No, he was a Goel. It was when Ruth's eyes opened by Naomi... She okay, you are the coal. I'm not asking him to become something. She's asking him to be who he is in her life. Um, so the incarnate God. Uh, and now that explains the sufferings of Jesus. Jesus wasn't being beaten up by the Father. That, we've talked about that. But what Jesus was doing was assuming responsibility for the total mess up of our lives 
And that's why I've said these last weeks, he did not do anything for us. Please understand that. Jesus did not do anything for us. That's a stranger coming with a $10,000 check. He did something for us. Jesus united himself to us at our most rejectable worst. When we are as Moabite as we could be, full of debts we can't pay, slavery on the horizon, we are screwed. And he unites himself to us. He doesn't do something. He says, I'll take full responsibility for you and for all that you've done and been. You're mine. Now it's me. And so when sin, your sin, rises up to accuse, guess whose face they see? And what does the face of Jesus do with your sin? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I don't know where people get the idea that some terrible judgment has got to take place before God can forgive us. If I forgive you, I don't have to kill Sherry first to satisfy my bloodlust. Now I can forgive. What what nonsense is that? The father had to kill the son before he could forgive you. What? You sound like a Moabite. No. That's the kind of God they worshipped, a miserable, mean, cruel, vicious monster that demands blood before he can do anything for you. Our God gives his blood to you. He took our sin, and in taking our sin, shed his blood. And his blood, therefore, announces to us the love of God and the forgiveness of God. That's the Goel. He came and he assumed total responsibility for us. So the Bible doesn't say that he took our sins. It said he became our sin. He became our curse. He became us. Assumed responsibility. He stood under the the torment of Satan. In, In Colossians 2, it says the whole of principalities and powers descended upon him just like they would upon you. But they're they're diverted now. They come upon him. And he throws them off. Of course he can. He's Boaz. Who does he does that for? Himself? No. He doesn't need to do that for himself. He did that totally for you. He's on the cross only for you. He lived only for you. He's the goer who takes full responsibility gives himself for you so that he becomes you and you become him. Hey, in the death of Jesus, we died to the future that sin had laid out for us. Could I dare to say this? That in the incarnation, but certainly in his death, this may be clumsy, so forgive me, but it, In that death, God died to every possibility that God could have become. Do you understand me? You're looking blank. Supposing God hadn't made us, or when we sin, supposing God says, well, you're done, finish, we'll start something else. Or did God even need to create at all? No, he didn't. He was complete in himself. So then, I mean, just stupid imagination. What could, what could God have become in terms of a future? 
What might he have done when he made you and became your Goel, God died to any other future he might have had. God linked himself to you and you become his future forever. Do you get that? You're still frowning. It's, I know it's massive and maybe you'll think about it tonight, but this is not small stuff. I've said it often, he refused to be God without us. Um, well, that, that's what I mean. That, see, if Jesus just did something for us, handed us a check and went back to heaven, and you can cash the check if you've got enough faith, um, well, that's one thing. That's where many dear people live in religious anxiety the whole time. But it's not that. He didn't give you a check called salvation. He took you into himself. He became you. He became your very life. And said, where you go, I go. Where I go, you go. And we'll begin by me going into your darkness, into your hell. And I'll carry you out of that to where I go. That, that's the gospel. And, and so we're redeemed. We're redeemed by the goal. And the Holy Spirit is right there in the middle of it all, opening our eyes and showing us who he really is. It, it means that, I mean, go back to Ruth and Boaz. And that wasn't exaggerated. That, that's simple sense. Well, Goel, you, it means now you share the honor that Jesus has. I mean, with the Goel, you don't honor the Goel and despise the one he's now given his life to. The, the honor of the one is the honor of the other. You're no longer picking up barley at the grocery store. You're sitting as one with the owner of the whole universe, cosmos, you know. You, do you get it? Um, he'll never go anywhere without us. Do, do you see what I mean? God has bound himself to us. We have become his history, and our history has become his history. So I, I, I don't say, oh God, where are you? He, he's in you. And love has stuck himself with you. He's never going to leave you. He can't leave you. It's the whole meaning of the cross. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, says Corinthians. Where we were last week. For me to live is Christ. Remember what I said? doesn't mean for me to live is me and Jesus. No, cut the and out. It's not for me to try and be like Jesus. It's not me and what would Jesus do. For me, me to live is Christ. Yoy. It's as Ruth was one with Boaz. She can never be just Ruth again. Forever she is Ruth Boaz. You can never again think of yourself as AC. You are AC Jesus. It's you're one. That's, that's, and, and as I said, he didn't ask your permission for that. 
He was Goel before you were born. He, he'd already joined himself to you before you even knew his name. We awoken to realize that, and we thought, wow, this is, this is it. Yeah, but this is it has been there since before creation. You woke up. He's not going to leave you now. And have you noticed as you come to know him, he lifts you up. Have you ever gone through the Bible on every time he lifts you up? We go down on our face and he lifts you up or stand upon your feet. He only wants you face to face, eye to eye, like lovers should be. He's not into groveling. The Moabite God is, but not Jesus. He lifts you up. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You've joined him face to face with the Father. That's the way it is, because he's the Goel. You share his triumph, you share his glory. That's the way it is. And you never again think poverty. Good grief, if you share the checkbook, who on earth talks lack? Who on earth talks poverty? In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's not just being spiritual, because those treasures of wisdom and knowledge are going to affect every detail of your mental life, your emotional life, and your physical life, and where you work and how you work. It's the treasures. And and the New Testament makes it plain. doesn't matter what situation I'm in, said Paul, I've learned to be content. That is no sense of lack. Sometimes I have enough, sometimes I don't have enough. It's beside the point. I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. Um, no, that's right. There's no such thing as poverty. Poverty is not about money. Poverty is about a mindset. It's a mindset of lack. Don't have. In the Amplified Bible says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything, equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. And remember there he was talking about the stuff that happens to you every day. It was talking about life. How do you move from being a Moabite to Mrs. Boaz? Um, I mean, that's a mindset change. You see yourself differently. It's part of the journey. You begin to realize who you are. And it scares you, first of all. You feel you're being a heretic. Um but then you get gloriously used to it. That I, because you see, and this has been a revelation to some people, that he sets me free to be me. Remember, we talked about it. For me to live is Christ. So there's a me and there's a Christ. I live, yet no longer it is Christ who lives in me. But there's an I and there's a Christ. But the I is one with him. But he never becomes me and I never become him any more than Ruth became Boaz. But they are absolutely one. When you look at you in the mirror, see the Holy Spirit within you, the Spirit of Christ. In you, inside of you. But use you and he's he. And use one. But there's two of you. Do you realize that's not slavery? He wakes you up to see yourself as the beloved of the Father. See yourself free from Moab 
for the first time in your life, you see who you really are. Love, God's love sets you free to be who you are. And you don't have to be that idiotic religious robot that always says the right things with the right tone of voice. You know that tone of voice? It annoys me so much. Especially in religious movies. When they, when they get the cowboy, you know, but it's a Christian movie, so he talks like a Baptist pastor. And, and um, oh, that is sick. You meet Jesus, he releases you. Because he's fascinated with you. He made you the unique you. And love releases you to be you and talk like you and think like you and invent like you and create like you. You discover yourself in the eyes of God's love. Because most people loathe themselves. We learn to love ourselves in the love of God. Well, I don't know. I guess it's time we woke up. You see, I've described the whole journey, and I honestly don't know. Honestly. I don't know where any of you guys are at. And I don't care. See, because I'm not trying to save you from a God who hates you. If I was, I'd be giving an appeal now on the 19th verse of Just As I Am to make sure you don't go out there and get run over by a bus and go to hell. But my message is he loves you. So I don't care where you are on the journey. That's immaterial. Because on that journey, you are discovering the love of God. And you're waking up. Just a little bit, just a little bit. A seeing. And the Holy Spirit says, do you know what that means? And you get so excited. And I get excited with you. Because, yeah, it's great. Yeah, there was more barley in front of you than anybody else. Yes. Yeah. It's all part of the journey. But when you see the incarnation, when you see that God became human and took himself into you and you into him and carried you through death to sit down with him at the Father's table, eye to eye, face to face. And when you know that the sound of holiness is a laughter that fills the universe, rejoice with me, I found the sheep that I lost. Well, somewhere along that journey, you're at and you're waking up and you're waking up and you're waking up. And we'll go on waking up because I'm still half asleep. Um, and that's the truth. And so, know where you came from and know where you're going. And know it's all about the Goel, our kinsman redeemer. Now the blessing of, oh, our greatest, most glorious God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing rest upon everyone, opening our eyes to see His love in every detail of life. Open our eyes to see your heart in the face of Jesus Christ. It's to that end that I bless you and send you into this week. Amen.